Let's go. Let's go. Oh, no. Do you want to? Sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next one. I'm excited and I feel relaxed and I'm ready to party. Don't say sorry. You don't need to do that. You don't need to apologize. It's a fucked up female habit. You don't need to be sorry for anything ever. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I don't have rage issues! I have nothing to prove to you. When I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we've actually seen a lot of movies from 2022. Um, I am your host, Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. So you know, many I'm, movies. So many. Whenever I do, whenever I do that opening, I have this moment where I feel like I'm in Wayne's World, and it's like, and with me, as always, is Garth. <laughs> you know what? If you called me Garth, I would be okay with that. One of my friends actually like wanted to go some year for Halloween. We haven't been in the same place for Halloween for a couple of years now, but she was like, we have to go as Wayne and Garth uh, at some <laughs> point. I was like, I, okay, I would be fine with that. I, I, like, I, I would absolutely raise that. <laughs> um, so how are you doing, Karen? <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, I am, you know, it's, it's Saturday morning and it's early. And so I'm tired because of course I am, because I live a very fascinating and exciting life where I'm constantly busy and tired all the time. <laughs> and <laughs> tell the people what you've been doing that oh. is like, that is like, oh, you're party girl. You're like, you know, going out and, and partying with all of the cool kids. Yes. So uh, last night I was at the Chino Hills boat parade. <laughs> Now, Chino Hills is in Southern California, and for anybody who doesn't know where it is, it is not near water, but they have a boat parade, and apparently they have had one. This is the town I grew up in. I don't live there currently, but uh, I was there because my nephew's in the high school marching band, and they were going to be marching. They did march, um, and uh, yeah, apparently this has been going on since I lived there many years ago never heard about it and my brother and i decided it's probably because we grew up in the part of town that doesn't have boats so the, the non-boat side of town we're the non-boating people and none of our friends had boats either so why would we know about the boat parade <laughs> well, in the landlocked if, city of chino hills california and if you're landlocked then not only do you have to have a boat you also have to have like a thing that will tow the boat yes to yes. get to water so you have to be even more of a boaty boat person yes um in order to do that that's hilarious correct like, I, so the I'm parade <laughs> was a whole lot of people towing their boats on boat trailers yeah. i feel like that this really is just like the yacht people just be <laughs> just be like look we have yachts and you don't <laughs> my favorite was the guy that was towing a dinghy like a little tiny it was just like, is that thing even seaworthy? <laughs> is this what I would do? I'd be like, I'm gonna enter the boat parade with with my kayak, like, yeah. like with my my old kayak that I bought secondhand. You know? <laughs> yeah, I will say the lights, a lot of them were beautiful, and so it was like it actually was kind of fun. But it was just like, oh my gosh, this is this is like the silliest thing. 
And the Amazing. fact that it's been going for over 30 years and I only learned about it when my nephew joined the high school marching band a couple years ago. <laughs> you just don't come from boat people. That's I like the problem. Really <laughs> I can't even yeah. tell you the last time I was on a boat. So. <sighs> well, that sounds that that sounds lovely. I don't know. <laughs> It actually was kind of fun. But uh, anyway, so it was just so exciting and exotic. And that is why I'm so tired today. Because <laughs> you're out looking at boats. Yeah. Um, well, I think for this episode, we wanted to talk uh, a bit because it's nearing the end of the year. This this is probably our last episode before the new year. Um, and we wanted to talk a little bit about like some of our favorite 2022 films, um, what we've seen, what we've liked. You know, people are talking about that their variety just released their, I think, worst of list. It's like, let's not, don't, don't do worst of list. We could talk about films that we don't like and, you know, why we have issues with them or whatever. But don't be like, oh, this is such a bad movie. Let's, let's like list, you know, 15 films that we hate. Um, that's not fun. That's not nice. Uh, so for this, for this, like, go around, let's just talk about, like, some, what are some of your favorite 2022 films, Karen? Like, is there one that has particularly stood out to you or a couple? Oh, there are definitely a couple. Um, the other day on Twitter, uh, so last week I saw, I saw a movie that is not one of my top movies of the year, and that was Babylon. And my tweet about it was something to the effect of, Sometimes you go to the movies and you think this is why I love movies. Babylon is not that movie. And so, <laughs> I was just being, you know, silly. But uh, someone asked me like, okay, so what are some movies that make you feel that way? And I was thinking about it and there are a few from this year that really made me feel that. Um, so those are kind of just like at the top of my list and I think no one will be surprised that one of them is Top Gun Maverick, which is kind of the movie of the year. It's not just me that loves it. Everybody <laughs> loves this movie. Um, and speaking of Variety, I actually have an article about Top Gun Maverick in Variety this week. And it's just mind blowing to me that I got to do that. But um, but it's just such a such an immersive movie. And the fact that we have these big studio movies now that all have kind of this so many of them really could be eligible for animated feature <laughs> if they would just admit it. But um, Top Gun Maverick doesn't do that. It really does feel like a throwback to that old style of movie making where the effects were practical and so much was done in camera and they really prioritized the feeling of the entire experience of the movie rather than just, oh, I want this to look cool. Um and that's not throwing shade at any one movie because there are a lot of movies made now that that kind of are in that mode of I just want it to look awesome and I don't really the story's incidental, you know. But Top Gun Maverick doesn't do that. And it was just such a um such an exciting experience for me. I love that. Um mm -hmm terms of, of Top Gun Maverick um, you know obviously I do not have the, the same strong connection to to the film as you do but um, but I, I did I love it and I think that what you're saying is exactly right that there there's a there's a sensation that you get from it that you don't get from those films that use a lot of CGI that use a lot of um, uh, you know video effects etc where you feel more like you are embedded in the film and it is very much a throwback and it's quite literally a throwback because it's a, it's a sequel to a 1980s action movie. Yeah. Um, but 
it, it gets you, uh, I think it gets you at the level of, it's a fairly simple story, right? It's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of like massive complications or anything like that, but it, it gets to what really works in a lot of action films, which is we're going to tell a simple story. We kind of know what the goal is. We know what the stakes are and we're going to go into it. And it actually engages with you emotionally um, and, and makes you care about these characters while at the same time being like, look at the cool planes, look at the things that are flying around. Oh, isn't this cool? Like it, it does make, give you that sensation. I mean, I saw it um, on a small screen. I didn't see it in the theater or anything, but even on a small screen, I was like, this is exciting. This is like, you know, feeling yourself embedded in the film at some level. And I think that a lot of that does go to First of all, just the way that the film is made, but but the um, the dedication to using more practical effects yeah. and to actually doing some of the things that they show them doing. And I, I yeah, I think that that's one of the reasons why the film works really well. Yeah. Like you have these actors actually in the planes doing a lot of this, this stuff. They're not the ones flying them. Obviously, they yeah. do have they do have actual Navy pilots uh, flying the planes. But um but they're they're acting as their own camera crew when they're up in the air and um the just there's so much that happens throughout the movie that really does just make it this this full experience that we just don't get anymore and yeah so i've yeah. seen it five times in the theater <laughs> <laughs> i am a nerd um you've all you're you're coming close to beating my uh my birds of prey record <laughs> i have seen that many times too but not all in the theater um but yeah it, it, what, what i find so fascinating about it is that every single time even though i know exactly what's going to happen and at this point i can pretty much quote good chunks of the movie but it still draws you in and it still leaves you like what if they're not going to make it, you know, like, oh, this is so close or, or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's, it's exciting every single time. And that is good filmmaking. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. What's one of yours? Um, there are a lot of them. And actually uh, I've, I've managed to get to see a number of the, the bigger films that are coming out this year fairly recently. Um, but I was just going through like the list uh, that I have on my letterbox about like what films actually came out in 22, what did, 2022. Um, what did I see? The Northman is a major one for me. And yeah. I had completely forgotten that that even came out this year. I had it in my head that it came out last year for some reason. Um, but first of all, I, you know, I've talked about it before. I love Robert Eggers. We talked a lot about The Northman, so I won't go like into, into too many details about it. But Again, it's it's that sensation, I think, that is similar in a certain sense to Top Gun Maverick of a film doing something that is both recognizable, but also kind of gets to what you want film cinema to be, right? Um, that of telling this unique story, of telling, um, telling something that is so mythic and that is so much, such an ingrained part of our culture on the one hand, but is also so different to what we are used to, to seeing in the theaters. And I, I do think because, you know, people, we've talked about being oversaturated with superhero movies and um, kind of big tent films and reboots and all of those things. And I think that that's true, but part of the reason why I think that feels like oversaturation is because all of them are so much the same. Mm -hmm. 
everything looks the same. It sounds the same. It, it has the same kind of special effects. The times when it stops feeling the same are, are when they really break out of that mold and actually do something new and different with it. Um, but films like The Northman, even though this is like embedded again in like very deep culture, this is basically like Hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's again, this very recognizable, fairly straightforward story in terms of the actual plot of the film, but is so unique at the same time. Uh, and, and I think that there's, there's both a sense that we're missing that um, on the one hand, but on the other hand, there are a lot of films that are actually trying to do those things. Uh, another film that I thought of that was actually 2021 release, but I'm going to count it as 2022, is the is Matrix Resurrections, um, which came out at, in December of 2021, and it it has that similar feeling of like this is doing something that is very recognizable, but is still so unique, and that balance is is really fantastic, and I think does speak to the fact that there are audiences for this and that there are filmmakers interested in doing these kinds of films still. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Another film like kind of along those lines that comes to mind that was a big standout for me this year was RRR. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, where you just have, it's a big action movie, but it's got a, a point to it. And it's, you know, this um, uh, like colonial you know, Britain, Britain versus India story. And um, so you've got these, mm-hmm. these guys fighting against this occupational or occupying force. And, um, but the way that that story is told, there's fantasy involved and there's some just easy action. I still can't get over the tiger, you know, and <laughs> And then he throws a leopard at the guy and he like ducks the leopard. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. So it's like, it's this, it's this movie that uses a lot of elements that we're so used to seeing in all these other movies, but to tell a story that we could actually be invested in about people that we actually care about. Yeah, and it, I think it speaks to that, like, you know, again, that, that mythic element of filmmaking. So it's something like RRR is very embedded, first of all, in the history of India and in a lot of mythology uh, and, and religious imagery and stories, right, that yeah. are like a part of that. At the same time, it's, it's, it's very recognizable from a Western standpoint. Like we know it is very clear who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, and, and um, kind of almost to a certain degree what kind of beats the film is going to hit. So there are all of these tropes. They're all of what we would call cliches, right? But because I think the film invests so much in it and gives us these, it, it reminds us that these kinds of stories are actually universal and are also just really, really engaging yeah. um, and fun to watch. Like it is ridiculous when they jump off the bridge, he's holding the flag in one hand and is like swinging under the bridge, like all of that to save a little boy, all of those things mm-hmm. are very cliched, right? But I think because the film goes so hard on them and is so willing to engage with both the fun of that and also, you know, it's not pretending like, oh, we've invented something new here. It's just like, no, this is this is part of our, our mythos, right? Right. Um, yeah. and, and so the film is willing to engage with that, but also to have this very serious and real underlying 
narrative about that is anti-colonial that is is anti-british in this case right that is actually like examining the reality of this and um and it strikes a great balance it, it you know we've said a couple of times this year i think that there have been a number of films that have been great films but have completely abandoned subtext mm -hmm. right it's just like no we have no subtext anymore everything is text and when a filmmaker and when filmmakers and actors are willing to go that route and are really willing to invest in it, it's not superficial. It's actually just very, um, like, very engaging, very fun. And at the same time, very much like this is anti-colonial. Let me show you how anti-colonial this is. Right. Yeah. And this is where you get the difference between a director who is using images that just look cool versus a director who has a story to tell and is using those cool images to further his point. Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah. And we just too many uh, high profile American directors <laughs> miss that part. Not to name names. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's this weird allergy, I think. And this is why I think it's interesting that we're getting these more metatextual films, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, there's this weird allergy to cliches on the one hand or to admitting that cliches are cliches, right. right? And cliches, basically the idea of a cliche is it's just overused, right? That's what a trope is. It's, it's something that we recognize that is, has been used so much that it's just become a part of our, our lexicon basically. Um, and we're cautioned against that because like you say, it, there's this tendency to use tropes or cliches without really using them appropriately. But with something like our art, our, our art, you're, um, they are using them appropriately. There, like you said, there is that. There's a real underpinning to it that is is serious, right? It isn't just because it looks cool. He's not swinging around with the flag because just because it looks cool. It does look cool, but there's an inherent meaning to that, and the meaning, you know, filters throughout the entire film. Exactly. Um, you don't just have a dance battle with the the British interlopers <laughs> just because it looks cool. It does look cool, and it's fun to watch. Um, but there is an inherent meaning within that. And, and that is, is where something like RRR is elevated over, um, you know, films made by certain filmmakers that we might discuss in a minute. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, I mean, in speaking of metatextual films, I think Everything Everywhere All at Once has topped a lot of people's lists. Yes, definitely. Um, so I, I, it was funny, you know, I've, the more that I thought about this film, I have kind of a weird relationship to it in that I think that it's very good. And I think that Michelle Yao and actually, and the entire cast really is fantastic. Um, at the same time, I don't feel as emotionally connected to this film as I do to some others, as I do to even like RRR. And I, I'm not entirely certain why. Um, I'm so glad you said it because I have felt that too. And it's one of those things where it's like people love this movie so much that I feel like I can't say anything that even slightly resembles criticism of it. Well, and I, I wouldn't say, like I would not look at this film. It's a bad film. No, no it is not a bad not. film. It is. It is a great film in a lot of ways. It's very clever. It's very unique. It um, examines these mother daughter relationships, relationships with parents generally, relationships generally, right? In a really interesting way. There's just something that maybe I'm missing in terms of being able to connect to it that I, 
there's a part of me that's like, well, maybe this is just my, this might just be me. Like, it seems like a lot of people really uh, attach to the way that these parent relationships are being depicted. Yeah. And this this whole thing about intergenerational trauma. And so some of that might also be very personal and very individual. Um, people who have experienced these kinds of things and are, are seeing their experience in some way represented in a very real way on screen. But yeah, like, like a lot of the time, you know, people are like, oh, I cried so much at the ending. I was just like, really? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's moving. I don't have a problem with it. I would never say that this is like, that this is not an... an effective film but it just didn't it didn't get me in the same way that it got some people here's here's what i think it is for me um and anybody listening please understand i really like this movie i think it's very good but there is such a culture that has risen up around it that saying anything critical uh, it just gets met with a lot of like why do you hate this why do you hate joy like (laughs) you suck go away and by um, by the way, one of the one of the producers actually like took to Twitter, be like, "Hey, stop this! Uh-huh. Like, this is crazy. Don't yeah. behave like this. This is like antithetical to what the film is doing." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for me, so I felt like the more touching scene, and a lot of people love the scene too. It's not just me, but it's it's not between mother and daughter. It's between the husband and wife in a universe where they weren't, um, and it's the the one where um it's like he's he's become this successful businessman and i can't remember exactly uh-huh. what the line is but to me that's the more um the is more it, emotional moment is is it the i would have loved doing taxes and laundry with you yeah yeah that one yeah that's um, that was very at uh, that that relationship i think is very affecting and maybe yeah maybe you're right in a, in a way that the mother-daughter one maybe isn't in the same way yeah but I think part of the reason that I didn't feel as emotionally like not invested that's not the right word but I guess maybe emotionally fulfilled maybe by the end I'm not sure what the right word is but it's just because the movie itself the experience of watching it it is in a good way very chaotic and exhausting and so it's like for me by the end it's just like oh I just got off this like crazy ride I need to breathe for a minute and so any sort of emotional beats right there at the end particularly between the mother and daughter for me it's it's more of just like okay I need a minute you guys do your thing I'm gonna be over here you know and so it's just it was like because so much happened and because it's such a a big and bold and audacious movie where it's just very um, crowded with imagery and um, so much happens in such quick succession. It just, for me, that made the, that, that emotional moment not connect as, as well as it did for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it is actually a divisive film probably more so than, what some people think that think oh, it is yeah. right this is that, a film twitter favorite that the industry is very mixed about <laughs> yeah and and i do i like i say I, I i think that both of us are like we really respect what the film is doing right oh, it, yeah. it isn't a it's not it's not ultimately you know saying that the film is bad or the film is is wrong or anything like that um that's but at the same time that yeah there's there's maybe something something missing i don't know 
Yeah. And when I say it's chaotic, I don't mean messy. There are a lot of movies that are mm-hmm. chaotic that are messy. And I don't think this is because I think that there is sort of a a method to the madness. I think they know exactly what they're doing when they assemble this thing so that it feels chaotic, even though it's very controlled. But it's like going on a crazy roller coaster and then you get off and you're just like, okay, whoa, what did I just experience? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. So what, what's another one for you that is just like been at the top, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. So um, a much quieter, very different movie, Banshees of Inisherin. Yes. Let's talk about Banshees of Inisherin, which I just saw last night. I'm so happy that you, I think I'm happy that you did. Depends. Did you like it? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I really liked it. I admit that like pe- people were saying like, oh, it's dark, but it's like not as dark. And then I watched it. I was like, no, it's really dark. That's not true um i liked it like i like the uh it's a very irish kind of darkness i guess where there there are there are a lot of jokes there's a lot of like even in the midst of some of the really really bleaker stuff there's like there's this little thread of humor that runs throughout it that i think has to be there because otherwise it would just be impossible it'd be a slog yeah um but yeah i i i quite liked it i have been thinking about it for like the entire morning basically (laughs) so what are some of your uh initial thoughts having just seen it well the the major thing that impressed on me and actually i went um partway through the film i paused it and i and i went and and looked up some things about the irish civil war yeah um because the more that i got into the film the more that i was like this is speaking to something that is very irish and that is very particular to this period of irish history um and i do think and i knew some things about the irish civil war i'm not a a scholar of it or anything like that but i i do think that this is a film i'm not going to say this 100 allegorical because i think that that's simplifying it a little too much um but i do think that this is a film that has to be read through the lens of ireland as a place the irish as a people and particularly irish history and the history of the irish civil war Mm -hmm. um and how this film is in part at least using using this this friendship uh the central friendship or lack thereof as kind of a metaphor for what is going on in ireland extensively but in in a very complicated way yeah and this this is one that i don't think you can take the it isn't a it isn't a personal story it's not an individual story it is very much a microcosm intended to represent the macrocosm mm-hmm. um and I and I really liked it at at that level. I think it, there's some great performances in it too. Colin Farrell is fantastic. Brendan Gleeson is fantastic. Um, who plays his sister? Uh, Colin Carrie Farrell's Condon. sister. Carrie Condon is is great. Uh, Barry Keegan is great. Um, everybody in it is you know it's a, it's a small cast. It's only like a few people really. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone in it gives great performances. I think particularly with the central to to men, very nuanced performances. Um, where even as a viewer, your loyalties keep shifting as you watch the film and and see more of kind of the breakdown of both of these characters. Uh, but yeah, it's I think that it really needs to be read through the lens of of Ireland itself and of that period of Ireland um, to completely engage with it. Uh, I think that outside of that, 
if you try to separate the two, if you try to separate, oh, it's it's the setting, but it isn't, that's, it's only the setting. No, it's very deliberately set in this period. Yes. Yeah. It's very intentional that this is 1923 toward the very end of that civil war. And I think that where this is definitely a metaphor for the war rather than its own story, which I think it, it definitely does both. But um, I think one of the things that makes this such a captivating film is watching the way well there's two things i think one is watching the way this rift between these two friends affects everyone around them and has a lot of consequences directly for them but just in in their community uh there's a lot of ripples there um the other thing too and I don't want to give any, I don't want to give things away for people who haven't watched it yet. It's on HBO max. Now you should definitely uh, check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Um, it's also available to rent, uh, I think in a few places, but um, the other thing too, is how you see this conversation about niceness. This is a big overall mm-hmm. uh, talking point. And um, I have I have talked for a long time, many years, about the difference between being nice and being kind. And I think that without directly saying it, this film is a perfect example of that because you have the nice guy versus the curmudgeon and watching where the nice guy starts to become incredibly mean and the curmudgeon, the grump, does things that are very kind and um, without being nice about it. And I think that watching the way that those two things happen and seeing, you know, the, what this does as far as revealing their character, I think it, it's a pretty brilliant, um, pretty brilliant story. And the screenplay yeah. really accentuates that uh, those character development, I guess. Yeah, that, that's a good point. In the the there's an explicit conversation about niceness about partway through the film, right? And that definitely has this feeling of like ah, you know, it's, it's a sort of aha moment of like okay, we see what this is beginning to turn on, right? Yeah. Um. And but there's there's also a moment, and again, I'm I, I like you, I'm not going to give anything away or anything, but there's there's a moment where something happens, and one of the characters actually says, "I think that's the meanest thing I have ever heard." or something like that right it's very close to that and it is just this moment of like of it's very human right because when you're angry at someone or when you begin to even when you're just annoyed at someone you begin to do little things that are maybe not um you don't think are mean in the moment but you realize as it goes on just like this is getting worse and worse this is getting meaner and meaner and it is just this moment of like yeah that's that's just really mean (laughs) like Mm -hmm. that that is not only not nice there it's there's something it's deliberately cruel and all of this is the thing is so much of this is so low stakes right it's not the because and that's why i think it works so well as as a metaphor at that level um is that you know it's about just wanting to to move away from someone that you're friends with and being confused as to why someone would want to stop being friends with you and all of this back and forth and it's it becomes very quickly less simple than that right it's not just i just don't like you anymore because there's much more that is going on underneath it um but it 
it it's so it it gets I think at that at that human emotion right um while at the same time being like this is what happens and this is how it escalates and particularly in view of the Irish Civil War which was a split among friends right right and and in fact part of the argument that that was going on was that it was essentially the free state versus the IRA and these were people who had been fighting side by side for ages who were friends with each other quite literally um and were suddenly finding themselves on opposite sides. And a lot of the time didn't even under- completely understand why they were on opposite sides yeah. um, because of, of the complexity of the politics and the complexity of what was happening. And so it, it really works at, at all of these different levels. But yeah, going into that, that kind of, that conversation about niceness and that conversation, also conversation about art and the ability to produce art and what you need to be able to produce art, but how that can maim you, I mean, can destroy you in a lot of ways. Yeah. So like, and and self-destruction as well. Yeah. Because that's part of the story. Like it isn't exactly something that these men are doing directly to each other. There it's, it's also things that they're doing to themselves. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating film like do do not believe people who say that it is not dark because it is it's so dark <laughs> but <laughs> but so but good. it's very good it has some great lines in including um <laughs> it was well, uh the the line about boring men um yeah one boring men you're all fucking boring yeah <laughs> and and i also like that it's not punching a policeman a sin if we call punching a policeman a sin, then we should all just pack up and go home. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely some moments where it's yeah. like, I think there's even a couple of moments where they're like, this is getting kind of out of control. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is a little much. Yeah. I even just like little moments too in the initial conversations when, when they sit down and, and, and Colin Farrell's like, hey, listen, if I said something, if I did something, I just please tell me what I did so I can apologize for it. And Brendan Gleason's like, no, I just don't like you. And the response is, but you do like me. No, I don't. <laughs> I, <laughs> you liked I, I, me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also one of the interesting things about the film is that you never see their relationship before right. this break, right? And that I was actually expecting to see like, oh no, we're gonna see a little bit of them as friends. And then suddenly this break happening, we see the break, the break is right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, and, and so we never, so you get hints, I think of, of actually that this break goes a lot deeper than just one of them deciding that he doesn't like the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is something that has kind of been percolating the entire time, but hasn't been obvious, at least definitely hasn't been obvious to, to the main, the main characters. Um, and, and then it develops out of that. So I thought it was really interesting to, to start the film without that, to not give us that same kind of background, except we know that they've been friends for a very long time. They've known each other for a very long time. And this is like suddenly for at least one of them, suddenly something has changed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's so many more things that I want to talk about that are definitely spoilers, so I can't. <laughs> but um, but I think that we do see, um, first of all, I identified, not directly, um, but I identified with some things about this friendship, this crumbled friendship, and what happens as a result 
I could really see bits of that in my own life. Like, oh yeah, I remember when that friends just stopped talking to me and we just weren't friends anymore. Or when I felt that way about someone else, like, oh, they're boring. I don't want to be friends with them, <laughs> you know? And like, we, I think we can all relate on some level to this and how, when you are in that situation, then like, and someone kind of just stops talking to you, then you're looking around like, okay, great. Now, who am I going to hate? Especially this is like a very junior high, high school type of thing too, where then it's like, oh yeah. shoot, now who am I going to be friends with? And then you just look for someone that is next. So it's like, you see Colin Farrell actually kind of go through a positions change where he starts out, he's apparently the boring friend. And then he takes on someone who he doesn't necessarily like being around, but there's no other option. Yeah, it's the it's it's definitely that very insular community. There's there are limited options, right, yeah. about who you're going to spend time with. Um, but but also like, and again, much I don't like think that this is school. yeah, and I don't think that this is much of a spoiler. But like the two the two guys at the in the pub at the fairly at the <laughs> beginning of the film, like the pub the um, uh, I think it's John Joe or something like that who owns the pub, and then there's another guy who's just basically props up the bar. Yeah. um and and they like actually say just like oh no we're on your side like you know we're we're friends and so there are these openings for friendship i think and for for him making connections with other people but he's obsessed with the fact that this one particular person doesn't want to be around him anymore right and and that that is is part of what what creates uh, a lot of the problems that the that you know the the film goes through, and it it does feel very high school. In fact, numerous times I think they're accused of being children. Yes. Of like, what are you twelve? Like, what you don't? I <laughs> just don't like me anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There, there is a moment with those two, with the two guys at the pub that I really enjoyed where they're just standing there going like, what the fuck is happening? It's <laughs> yeah. like, holy shit, everyone <laughs> calm down. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> So yes, great film, really fascinating, you know, for, for people who really did not like um, Three Billboards, I think that this this will maybe help you to to like Martin McDonough again. Yeah, if you liked In Bruges, I think this is more your speed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see, so what other films do we want to talk about? Um, a lot, see, a lot of these we've actually talked about at length. In, I know, in yeah. Um. Well, so let's talk about another film that I just got to see that had me sobbing for 20 minutes. Um, Pinocchio, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is such a fantastic animated film. It is, it goes back to, um, it goes back to the original story, but I think that it also really deeply engages with the, the, the Disney film, which is, Let's talk about it. This is the major way that we are all exposed to Pinocchio. Many of us have not read the story. We did not read the story when we were kids. Um, and and we don't, um, you know, we don't necessarily, we know Pinocchio through Disney for the most part. Yeah. And I, first of all, this is just a beautifully animated film as numerous people have talked about. It is gorgeous. It's um, very like I, I like the use of, of stop motion. It's very tactile as a result, I think. And um, and it needs to be because this is a very tactile story in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it is a fantastic anti-fascist polemic. Uh, and and really engages with the way in which I think authoritarianism is developed and and the way that authoritarianism is developed out of these very simple precepts of childhood. 
um, don't lie, obey your parents, obey authority, go to school, all of those things that, you know, you're kind of told to do without really developing the ethical complexity of some of those things. If I go to school, what am I being taught? Who is teaching me and where are they teaching me for? If I obey my parents, are there times when my parents might be wrong? And, and I even like the fact that the film acknowledges the fact that parents are human beings and that human beings can be wrong and they can hurt and they can screw up. Um, not even intending to. Uh, if, if I don't lie, are there times when lying might actually save me or save mm-hmm. you, right? That, so all of these these things that the original, and again, particularly the Disney film presents as being these very black and white morals, right? Um, here is how you should behave. You should be a good boy. And if you, if you aren't a good boy, bad things are going to happen to you. That's, that's, the, that's the basic concept behind the, the, the film. And Del Toro takes those concepts and says, it's a lot more complicated than that. And also it's taking these things blindly is what fascists want, is what the authorities want. It's what authoritarian, it's what results in the fascist state. And and we need to be very careful about what we're telling our children. And I I just think for a film that is so funny at the same time, there's a lot of humor in it. Um, There's a lot of joy in it. And then also manages to get in these these elements of anti-fascism and very explicitly engaging with the way that we talk to children and the way that we teach children and how we need to be careful what we're teaching them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting because Disney did a hybrid live action, partially animated, uh, new version of Pinocchio. It's on Disney plus with Tom Hanks as Geppetto. And uh, that came out um, like, I don't know, September, October, I completely forgotten about that film. Yeah. Well, they kind of <laughs> had to rush it out because Guillermo del Toro's film was coming and it was just going to wipe the floor with, with their version. So um, now I will say that I thought that movie with Tom Hanks was perfectly cute. I didn't think it was as terrible as a lot of people saw it as, you know, it's not great, but it's, I didn't think it was this giant disaster. I thought it was perfectly serviceable and fine. Um, but it's funny because in that version as well, they also introduced this idea that like they changed it. Sometimes it is okay to lie if it's to save your own life. And people took issue with that. They were really upset because it's teaching kids that like, well, sometimes lying is, is fine. It's like, but sometimes lying is fine. I think the difference between that movie, the Robert Zemeckis one, and the Guillermo del Toro one is that you get more nuance and there's a little bit of discussion in the Guillermo del Toro version about that. Whereas in the other one, it's just kind of like, oh, well, this is just what we need to do and it's fine and we're just going to move on. But I think del Toro, he really does understand those nuances and complexities and does a good job of not just bringing these these ideas into the story and just letting them linger there and letting you just draw your own conclusions it's not that he he hand feeds everything he definitely doesn't do that but he has more more of a conversation about some of the more complex ideas such as um you know when it's okay to lie when parents uh kind of suck sometimes you know those types of things like what you're talking about there's a lot more 
um, a lot more depth to his storytelling. And that's besides the fact that this animation is stunning and it's some of the most beautiful animation that we've seen in a film in several years. Um, I think that, that the, the storytelling element really helps bring the animation even more to life because he really, he doesn't just drop these, these like concepts. He actually engages with them. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, the the other the other thing that I also just really liked is uh, Ewan McGregor's performance as Sebastian <laughs> J. So Cricket. Um, outside of anything else, first of all, he's a great he's a great little character. He's so different from Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> um, but but yeah, but also but also this whole thing that keeps on getting squished, and and his whole thing of like life is suffering, <laughs> love is pain. I like all... I love it. <laughs> And I do like I even like the the use of music, right? And there are musical numbers throughout throughout the film. And cool animation. Yeah, and and they they deal with them in in really interesting ways. And that's that's why I think you know I've I've actually I was I was actually looking at my old Twitter thread that that I posted uh, yesterday. And there is one particular person who's very mad at me for um, not talking about the novel, only talking about the the relationship with the Disney film. One have not read the novel sorry just haven't done it so my major touch point for this is is the disney film but well, i do think you're not allowed to have an opinion clearly i well and i also <laughs> think that i we cannot ignore the fact that the disney film is the major touch point for pinocchio in the western canon like it yeah. just it simply is most people who have experienced the story of pinocchio know it from the disney film even if you haven't seen the disney film those are the images that you recognize that that is the the structure of the story that you recognize and so i do think that there and i know that del toro knows that and that there's no doubt that this film is directly engaging with the disney film well and and just to to touch on that so when i got to see this movie there was a q a with del toro afterwards and he was specifically talking he didn't in that q a he didn't really talk about the novel in terms of like his reason for wanting to make this movie, it was because the Disney animated movie was one of the first films that he saw with his mom. And it was something that always really stuck with him. And he even, he even said a line that I loved so much that was Pinocchio was one of the first films that taught him or that showed him how scary it is to be a child. And that was something that always stuck with him. And that was why he wanted to make this version of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he is even specifically referencing the Disney <laughs> film as his his like starting point. So that was good to know. I'm glad to know that. Um, but but I, I think that one one way or the other, I think that there are definite references to it and particularly in the use of music and the, and the use of musical numbers. Uh, and and so you get like, like poor Sebastian Jay Cricket. Uh, who can never get his musical number in until the very end of the film and tries so hard but keeps on getting interrupted and um yeah but but all of that and and like even that which and i think that that you know the the idea of the the cricket is the conscience and i really like that um but at the same time the conscience is very different and in this he's not the conscience he's the heart right he lives inside of pinocchio 
it's his home actually like Geppetto cuts down the tree and and this is the home that this cricket has has created um and and he so he continues to live within Pinocchio the blue fairy says like well since you're already there mm-hmm. uh you're going to be responsible for him and but so even if you read him as the heart if you read him as the conscience there's this sensation of like it's more complex he's more complex yeah. Um, the character is more complex. It's not just let me keep you on the straight and narrow. It's I've got to figure out how to help you navigate these very complicated problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 yeah, so so Dotoro engages with that, I think, in a really meaningful way in this film. Yeah. It yeah. is also beautiful. And I, I sobbed in the last 20 minutes. So uh, I don't know how too. you couldn't. It's <laughs> so great. And well, I love how there's even um, people really need to watch it. It's on Netflix now. You should yeah. definitely check it out. But um, I, I love how even in this um, uh, sort of after, I guess, afterlife type of situation that we visit multiple times, um, there are different philosophies on what should happen with certain people when they make certain choices. And I love that. It's, it's this idea that nothing, nothing is black and white, not just in life, but in the afterlife too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love the depiction of the afterlife in this one, mm-hmm. like the, and this, and, and the whole idea about mortality Yeah, and what that means beyond, you know, and, and beyond just like, I want to be a real boy. It's like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a real boy, right? What does mm-hmm. it mean to be a real, what does it mean to be human? Right. Um, beyond just, you know, being flesh and blood. Because Pinocchio is very real, but he's he's different from everybody else. Yeah. Yes, yes, everybody goes see Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So are there, are there any other films that you wanted to, to highlight in this, this conversation, Karen? Anything else that you've seen this year that has been really, like, fantastic? Yeah, so I'm just going to rapid fire a few titles without really yeah. talking much about them. Um, so some of my very favorite movies this year, and I have to say, people are starting to whine that this hasn't been a good year for movies. This happens every year. And I'm just looking at my list going, oh my gosh, there's so many movies I really, really liked a lot. Um, so a few of mine that we haven't, we haven't talked about today, but I've probably talked about it at some point this year. Uh, Women Talking, um, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, Tar, After Sun, After Yang, a couple after movies, uh, The Woman King, The Watcher, or no, sorry, not The Watcher, just Watcher, um, Turning Red, The Lost City, The Menu, Punk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, um, and oh good luck to you leo grand yes um, very very good um x and pearl it's a great double feature right there uh man so many there's so many prey was fantastic uh, emily the criminal is really good um yeah this is i'm sorry this has been a good year for movies <laughs> so those are a few few more of mine you can find more on my letter I have my whole 2022 list. This this has actually been an excellent year for and a lot of varied films. Like even mm-hmm. just the ones that we've talked about in a little bit more depth. It's like these are very different movies. Like we've got Tar, we've got Banshees of Inisher, we've got Pinocchio, we've got X and Pearl. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's been it's been a really interesting year. Mm-hmm. Um so we did have uh we did have a quick question what about from you? 
Well, I wanted to go, I, I, I'm I going to reinforce every single thing that you said and also include the Bob's Burgers movie, okay. <laughs> which I loved. Um, you actually took most of the films that I was going to mention. <laughs> but, uh, the, but this is another good one. What was your biggest surprise of 2022? This is a question from Noah. Hmm. Um... Good, bad, middling... Gosh, uh, my biggest surprise. Um, that's a well, tough one. I, I can I can start. My biggest surprise was how much I hated Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. That um, was a big surprise to me. We talked a lot about Barbarian. I won't go into it again, but yeah, that that one, that one was was very not great for me. I'm sad. Yeah um see that's the funny thing is like the movie i i was surprised that men is like my least favorite movie of the year i thought it's alex garland i really like him i'm gonna like this and i didn't <laughs> at all <laughs> um uh what was a happy surprise though um i don't know it's funny because i think most of the movies that i liked i expected that i probably would or else mm -hmm. i just never heard about them so i didn't have an expectation going in um I think RRR was a happy surprise for me. Not in yeah. not in the sense that I did not expect this year to be to be a year where people got so into a massive like Indian film. Mm -hmm. Um and and when the the amount of praise that it was getting, I was like, oh, I'm probably gonna enjoy this. But I I was I think that it was a good, it was a good surprise. This was not something that I was expecting, in other words. You know, on the subject of RRR, I will say one of my big surprises for the year, not in terms of movies that I liked or didn't, but in terms of that movie in particular, it surprises me to learn how divisive the politics, like I know the in a country like India, there's a lot of politically divisive things, but I, I was really shocked at the fact that things are so divisive there that they gave up basically a surefire India's first Oscar for international feature because of politics. Like they chose yeah. not to make that their submission, which means they're probably not going to win. And they would have if they had, if they had picked RRR. And I just can't believe that politics did that. You know, mm -hmm. I I was honestly amazed at the number of people who were like, "But why are the British the bad guys?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and there were a number of people including like some some major film critics and i was like do you not i mean i'm not i'm not a scholar of indian history but i do know some things about it and <laughs> and i hate to say it you guys are the baddies mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you're not the good guys in this scenario it's so true oh another surprise for me was how much other people did not like thor love and thunder i love it i think it's great and it really surprised me how much people hate that movie like disappointed surprised you know <laughs> yeah i liked thor love and thunder i enjoyed oh, it like like yeah it's i mean i again i think the i think that some of it might be expectation versus reality that mm -hmm. because ragnarok was such a was so good that people were like oh the next was going to be even better and then you know i think it's definitely a little bit of a step down from ragnarok yeah definitely but but it's still a lot of fun and it's miles better than a lot of the MCU films, um, like in terms of, of everything, basically. Um, yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. I agree with that. 
So let's let's kind of I, I don't know how we're going to end this. Let's end on probably one of the biggest films that is going to come out this year. Certainly both in, in size and in scope, probably in box office, depresses the shit out of me. Um, but I'm really Karen... so sad when it beats Top Gun, except for that it <laughs> won't do it in 2022. So Top Gun Maverick is still going to be the highest grossing movie of 2022. True. Which makes me very happy. <laughs> True. We are, of course, talking about Avatar, The Way of the Water. Um, I'm resisting calling it Dances with Smurfs 2. <laughs> um, except that that's what it is. I have not seen it. Karen has seen it. Karen, do you want to say anything about Avatar? Oh, there are a way lot of, of things water. I'd like to say about Avatar <laughs> The Way of Water. Um, it's So you call it Smurfs 2. I call it Fergully 2. Titanic versus Free Willy. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> um, so I did not like it. And it was very hard to not just write in my review, bad movie is bad. Um, I do have reasons. And I can, I can show my work on this. Um, I... I felt like this is definitely we we've ref, we've alluded to this already in this podcast, but I feel like this is definitely a film where James Cameron has made us wait 13 years. He's been threatening us with this movie for 13 years, and he's very much become a director that's about making things look cool and not making it. He wants to immerse us in the visuals of a world without actually giving us anything to engage with what when we get there. And that to me is a problem. You know, I, I said earlier this week that I feel like he peaked with the abyss and immediately people are like, but uh, Terminator two is good. Like, yeah, I agree. Titanic is amazing. Like, yep. I love Titanic. I just don't think that those are as good as the abyss, you know, but I think that what those movies have that he, we've seen less and less of from him now in his later career is that those films all give you a story to engage in, give you characters to, to care about, to, um, to root for, to feel like you are part of their journey. And with Avatar and now with Avatar, the way of water, there's, there's no real, and other people will disagree and that is fine. You are welcome to your own opinion. Um, but there's, there's no real, person to connect with it's all very much like we're being told this story we're being you know we're being told this is this is this world and look at how pretty it is and it is it's beautiful but there's nothing for us to really connect with there's a cartoon villain that gets brought back from the first movie why because james cameron can't think of a different more interesting villain and there was a very obvious way to go in this one that just if I ever yeah anyway I'm never going to talk to James Cameron but if I did I'd be like why did you not make Edie Falco the villain she was right there um but anyway uh it just it's overall it just is a very it's a very pretty it's like it's like a vase it's like a beautiful vase where it's very pretty to look at but it's totally empty and I just I wasn't surprised at all by that I didn't like the first movie for the same reasons but I just, it's still, I still was a little bit disappointed because I did hope that maybe, you know, 13 years of, of working on this would mean that he had kind of figured things out and had really made more of an effort. There's like five credited screenwriters on this thing. Um, but no, no, that's not the case. 
shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Of course, we have your, your full reviews up on our, our website, full written review. But mm-hmm. yeah, and the, I mean, I did, we talked a little bit about Avatar. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely have strong, strong feelings about the original film. I do not intend to see to see this one. I might see it, you know, when it comes out on um, on streaming or wherever it winds up. Uh, but three hours of this shit, like, just does not attract me. But a, a lot of what you're saying is, um, again, not not terribly surprising based upon the original film. But I think that that's one of the problems generally with uh, with certain kinds of sci-fi is that, you know, it's it's this 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 is actually something that I do in, in my other world in my other business <laughs> um, is is talk to people about you know world building is great. And world building can be really difficult. And, you know, you have to come up with all of these things. You have to like consider the entire construction of this completely fictional world. Great, that's a complicated thing to do. That's, it can be a lot of fun. It can be a lot of work, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you have to tell an interesting story. You have to tell a story about characters that people care about. You have to give us more than just the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I joke about, oh, it's Dances with Smurfs, which is the South Park episode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, but there's a reality to that. Like it is Dances with Smurfs. The original film, as we've talked about, is very much a white savior myth. Yeah. Um, and, and it's engaging with that unironically and is even, you know, I've seen people try to make the claim that, that it's actually anti-colonial and it is in one way, but not in another. Um, it is saying that, you know, the mining of natural resources of, of, a, of another people's world is not okay, right? Great. But the problem is that all of this is being filtered through a white guy. All of this is like being, being filtered through actually putting on the skin of a native person. I do not understand how people are watching these films and are not talking about that. Um, and, and at least in the first film, it's completely uncomplicated. It is not, no one is ever like, hey, this might be a problem. Right. Um, and it, it doesn't undercut the, the white savior mythos. And it sounds like from everything that I've read, from everything that I heard, from everything that you're saying that, that this film doesn't particularly engage with it either. Um, and that's a problem. That's a problem. And so you've, you've got to, if we're going to use tropes, if we're going to use cliches, if we're going to use, you know, particularly if you're going to use racist stories, right? You've got to do something different with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to actually, you know, make this into something new and something unique. And it doesn't surprise me that, that Cameron is incapable of that because he is yeah. incapable, he isn't capable of it as a filmmaker. He's not capable of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that he has, has done a lot more with, um, with nuance and with good storytelling in previous films. And I don't know if he, just used to be a better writer or if he just had better people working with him I'm not sure what it was but at some point when he started to really learn this new technology of CGI the story became like not even secondary that became like not like barely part of the point you know and one of the things that just really struck me watching this was just you know in 2009 and I wrote this in my review too but in 2009, when the first film came out, Marvel, the MCU had just gotten started in 2008. There was not an MCU film released in 2009. Um, you had seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy had come out. The Harry Potter movies were were 
uh, coming. We're like in the middle of that. Um, and you'd seen things like the Spider-Man films and stuff. So CGI was definitely becoming the way of the future, but no one had made a live action movie that was so immersive as Avatar, which is a big part of the reason why that one took off the way that it did. Um, it was something very new, very groundbreaking. And that was part of why people didn't care about the story because they were seeing something new anyway. But when you fast forward to 2022, every, every studio is making movies like this, you know, and it doesn't feel, even though some of the actual visuals themselves look crisper and cleaner and prettier than other movies are, are doing. Um, and there is a little bit of new technology. It doesn't look different enough or new enough compared to everything else that's coming out from the studios and anything you can see in five other theaters, you know, five other screens in the same multiplex, you know? And, and that is a big part of the problem. And so it's like, okay, if you're going to continue to push the envelope on these visuals, at this point, in the way that technology has caught up, you have to bring in a good story too. And there's all these rumors now, or all these like, you know, people whispering that, oh, we've seen the scripts for four and five, and they're just going to be amazing. And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't wait 10 more years for that and think, okay, well, this movie is going to be worth it in 10 years when I see the fourth one. You know, it's just, it doesn't work that way. So. <laughs> Jesus Christ, we're never going to escape, are we? No, uh. no, no. <laughs> but there was a comment on my review yeah. that I thought would be worth mentioning. And I'm not critiquing the comment. Okay. Um, this is from someone named Beverly. I don't know who who you are Beverly I I if you're if you happen to be listening thank you so much for commenting and taking the time to do that um but the comment was I have not seen it yet avatar way of water uh but I'm highly an anticipating to do so I've been watching all the trailers discussions and critiques it should be visually stunning so what if there are cliche moments and scenes life can be that way in reality I like a good love story with action-packed controversy and a happy ending Movies are for escapism, entertainment, and supposed to be fun to see and enjoy. You know what? That's great. Uh, if you don't care uh, if the story is cliche, that's fine. That's great. This is the thing about criticism that I think a lot of people uh, forget or ignore or seem to not understand these days. And I'm not saying Beverly is one of those folks, but I just wanted to take a minute to point out that this was my review of a movie. This is my thoughts on that movie. This is my opinion. And I, I don't have to say this is my opinion because that is implied in the fact that I am writing a critical analysis of a film. And movies cannot be measured objectively. This is art. And so the movie's got like, you know, 80 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. There's lots of people that liked it. Mm -hmm. That's fine. That's great. And they all have reasons for that this doesn't work for me and I have reasons for that as well and my opinion is just as valid as anybody else's and if you want to just go and enjoy what it looks like and escape cool go for it I hope that that you find it you say you like a good love story well maybe you will be disappointed with this one because not good but anyway <laughs> <laughs> well but I I think that you know to, in, in terms of the way that that criticism works, right? Yeah, there, there is this attitude of like, well, that's just your opinion, right? It was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, it, it's my opinion. And I, 
and if you are a film critic or a film scholar or whatever, you, you offer an analysis or an opinion based on, you know, a certain degree of cinematic knowledge, hopefully, uh, and, and a certain perception about film and a certain ability to, to write about film. That's, but yeah, at the end of the day, it is my opinion. And that does not have to be your opinion. Um, I find it interesting though, that very often the people who, who are like, well, movies are just for escapism, movies are just for this, are really passionate about other people sharing that. Yeah. Are really like, you know, how dare you criticize a film because it's just escapism. Just like, look, if you, if you don't think criticism matters, then don't complain about it. Like it doesn't matter. Don't engage why with should, it. Don't read it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why should why should you care? Like if if I like a film and you're like, how dare you? It's like, well, obviously something about this matters to you that I say that I like this, even though I didn't. Right. Or that I give this praise, even though I don't think it deserves it. Right. And so it's, it's this weird dichotomy of, of like, you know, it often comes down to, well, critics don't count. It's like, well, if critics don't count, then why are you complaining about critics so much? Like, why are you spending so much time griping about this? Yeah. Um, I, I will also say, uh, no, films are not just entertainment. They, and, and yes, even Avatar is not just entertainment. And in fact, one of the things that we're talking about, the, these, these films are political. Um, these films do say something about our culture. They say something about what we're being sold and what we're buying. Uh, and we could disagree about what those things are, right? And that, and in fact, we've talked about it before, but we cannot simply say, this is just entertainment. This is just escapism. Even escapism means something. What are we escaping from? And what are these films offering us as an escape? Right. Uh, and so, so yeah, I, I object to everything here, basically. <laughs> I will say that. Karen's like, that's just my opinion. It's just like, no. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where we are different. <laughs> it is. It is. I know. No, I, I I mean, I agree with you. And I, I, I also get frustrated when people say movies should just be entertainment and just be escapism because most people who actually make movies would disagree with that statement. Yeah, they want them. They they make movies because they want their movies to matter. Maybe Cameron doesn't. Maybe that's why he is making such cliched and and silly movies now. But um, most filmmakers don't go into it like I just want this. Most <laughs> don't just want it to look cool and and sell tickets. They want to say something with their story. And mm -hmm. some of them do that very well. Some of them do that not so well. Some are, you know, sometimes good and sometimes bad. You know, it's every filmmaker is different, but uh, and the degree of set of success is very different. But I, I have never heard a filmmaker say their goal is to just make something fun. They want their movies to mean something and to make mm -hmm. an impact on people. Well, and and even films where the whole thing is just like I just think it looks cool, right? Mm -hmm. um, there there's still a way in which that filmmaker is, is engaging with something. There's a reason why they chose images that they chose, yeah. um, why they constructed the story that they constructed. And so I, I do think, do, do I necessarily think that James Cameron's sitting back and going like, I'm going to make a racist movie? No, 
I don't think that he thinks he's being racist. I don't think that he's, he thinks he's being anti-feminist in some of his representations of women. In fact, I think the opposite. Mm-hmm. I think that he imagines he's doing something different, but because he is not engaging with these cliches and tropes in a meaningful way, and is not actually interrogating the things that he's representing, he's reproducing something that is deeply problematic at best. Yeah. Um, and and we as critics and as viewers, just people who are going to a movie sitting down, you, we have to be able to engage with films in a more meaningful way than that because that's where propaganda comes from. You know, we're talking about the, the, the stuff in Pinocchio of like these very simple precepts for living, right? That's where propaganda comes from. It comes from not interrogating art. It comes from not really understanding what an art, a piece of art is giving you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is true, especially for the big flashy fancy films, yeah. the, the films that look pretty. It's like, okay, they look pretty. What is going on within them? Um, and let's not be overwhelmed by the prettiness. Let's not be overwhelmed by the escapism. If you, again, if you're escaping, what is the film is letting you escape to? Right. What is it saying is the utopia? Because that means something as well. Yeah. Anyways. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that that is going to close us out. We talked a lot about a lot of different films. Uh, this has been fun. All of, oh, yes. We didn't re- there were a few. Sorry. I just really, there were a few that um, some of our listeners contributed that I wanted to just kind of mention too. Yeah. Before we wrap up. So, um, cause you had asked like what, what really rose to the top? What were some of your favorites? stuff um so noah said he adored glass onion but he hated that it only had one week in theaters um which i think most people agree with that sentiment and then brendan uh favorite movies this year everything everywhere all at once rrr and pinocchio which we all talked about but just wanted to give brandon a shout brendan a shout out and thanks for that and and i have to say uh Brendan's Brendan's posting about RRR this year was one of the things that pushed me to watch it. Oh. Um, and, and so I will say, thank you so much, bro. Like, <laughs> thank you for that. Nice. Because <laughs> uh, because I think that he he had seen it and he had been posting about it like way before I'd even heard of it. And I was like, oh, what is this movie that people are talking about? And then I went to look at it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so thank you for that. So I think that that is going to close us out uh, for 2022, it looks like. Um, we want to, as always, thank our lovely patrons who are great people and we respect you and thank you so much for continuing to support us. Um, they include Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Cow, and Will. Thank you so much for continuing to support us, guys. Again, if there is anyone who is owed buttons, stickers, et cetera, that has not received them, please let us know. And, and if you can provide us a U.S. mailing address, um, I will get those things out to you as soon as possible. Um, if you want to join their number, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash citizen dame, where you can get bonus episodes, including our very exciting Christmas bonus episode in which we talk at length about Elf, which, uh, you know, one of us really, really loves beyond anything. <laughs> and the other one of us really, really likes too. So, you know. <laughs> 
Um, we also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod, where you can buy little things. We're also going to have um, some other things that are going to be up for sale directly on our website. So you'll be able to get stuff directly through us. We also have our Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. And if you want to just donate to the website, um, to the running of the podcast, we do have a donate button now um, on our website at citizendamepod.com. Uh, you could just send us a couple of bucks. It's everything is helpful. It lets us continue to pay for hosting and keep the lights on. And we, we are always really grateful for that. Um, of course, you can get in touch with us a multitude of ways. Our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are on the various socials. We're still on Twitter <laughs> uh, at citizendamepod. We are also on Instagram and Mastodon at citizendamepod, Mastodon at uh, citizendamepod and mastodon.social. And we have our letterboxed, which is at Citizen Dame, where you can see all of our many, many lists for the entire year. We have all kinds of things, um, films to watch, films that you should watch. And so check that out. And of course, you can get in touch with us individually. I am on all of the socials uh, at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am also on all the socials at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out. We will talk to y'all later. Bye. I don't know. The only thing I do know is that we have to be kind. Please, be kind. Especially when we don't know what's going on. 我理解大米不是一个服输的人。